Welcome to Sojourn today, and especially welcome back to any college students that are back in town. It's nice to have you guys back. Um, we're going to be reading from Psalm 8 today, so if you have your Bible with you, if you could start turning to Psalm 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love to give one to you, so if you could raise your hand if you would like a Bible for today. It is yours to keep, especially if you don't have one at home, so you can be reading it throughout the week. Um, but if you need a Bible, if you'd like to raise your hand, someone can bring that to you. So again, we're going to be in Psalm 8, and if you guys could please stand for the reading of God's word. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, glad to be with you this morning. I missed gathering with you last week because of snow, uh, but thankful that, though it's going to be very cold this afternoon, uh, that I don't think we're going to have any winter weather beyond that. So it's just good to be together uh, each week to sing with you, to worship by song through the reading of God's Word and now the preaching of God's Word. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we dive into His Word this morning. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, we pray that your name would be majestic here this morning, that it would be lifted high, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified this morning. We pray, God, that as we open your word now and look at Psalm 8, that you would help us to be in awe of you and who you are. And so, Father, I pray that as we do that, though, as we're confronted more with who you are, that we would interpret our own lives in light of who you are and that we would see ourselves in light of who you are and that you would challenge us and that you would convict us and that you would encourage us. God, I pray that above all that as we leave here today that we would continue to be in awe of you, worshiping you with our thoughts and our actions with the whole of our lives making much of your name as we go out, that we would be a part of seeing your majestic name go to the ends of the earth. So Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of grace that it is to gather this morning under the name and banner of Jesus Christ, opening up your living and active word today. We give you thanks and we pray that you'd be honored and you'd be glorified. And we ask and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, a few months ago, uh, my good friend Mark, uh, we were hanging out with a group of friends, get together with a group of guys from college every year, and he asked us a question. He said, if you could choose, would you live in a more urban or more rural place compared to where you currently live? Would you go more urban or more rural? Mark uh, lives outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, north of the city. And what I already think is a pretty, what I would say is borderline rural. He's about 20 minutes outside of the city, lives on five acres of land. You can't really see any neighbors. He's not in a neighborhood. He said he would move more rural. 
I, on the other hand, you know where I live, uh, I said more urban. I mean, Amy and I love the fact that we live so close to Washington, D.C., that it's easy for us to get down there. We've talked about how fun it would be to live in the city. Don't worry, we're not planning on moving down there. Uh, but, but we would love to be in a more urban environment. We enjoy it. We enjoy all the different things that we get to do uh, to be a part of that. But that doesn't mean that I don't like rural areas. I, I, I love going. I told Mark and my friends, I love going to places like that for a visit. just don't know that I'd want to live there for my whole life. But one of the things I love about going to a rural environment is that you can go outside on a clear night and you can look up in the sky and it is magnificent. There's so many stars that you can see, so many things going on in the sky. It's so easy to see a shooting star when you're out in a place like that. There's a stillness to the night when you're out in the country. But even on a clear night in Fairfax, sure, can't see nearly as many stars as I could if I was far outside of the city, but I can still see some, and it always amazes me to look up at the sky and see how vast it is. As we come to God's Word today, we come to a text that really does two things for us. It, It points us to the greatness and the gloriousness of our God and the wonder of His creation Things like the universe and the stars. And that by doing that, by seeing God's greatness, by seeing the vastness of his creation, it answers the question of what it means to be human. What it means to be human. And that's what I want to focus on today in our gathering together. Our world has and continues to give all kinds of different answers for that question of what it means to be human. If you're a fan of music, Sia tells us in her song, To Be Human, to be human is to love. For others, some say to be human is just merely about DNA. Some person I was reading this week philosophized that to be human is to pretend that you're not an animal. And on a BBC article, it says to be human is to be at the center of our own universe, to experience life in all its colors and all its potential. So what is the answer? What does it mean for us to be human? Well, my hope for all of us today, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, we're thankful that God's brought you to gather with us this morning. My hope for all of us is that God would use our time in his word this morning to enlarge your view of him. That you would see how great our God is. And in turn, because you see how great our God is, it would give you a greater respect and love for all of humanity. No matter how young or old a person is, no matter what their ethnicity or skin color might be, no matter if they're male or female, because, because what we learn from Psalm 8 is this, what it means to be human begins and ends with God. It begins and ends with Him. And so with that, let's dive into Psalm 8. And may God bless the preaching of His Word this morning. The book of Psalms is a book of songs for God's people. And Psalm 8 in particular is a very worshipful song, a very worshipful and prayerful song. It has a source, it's kind of a source of wonder and praise. There's a sense of joy and awe in this song. And this particular song of praise is directed toward God 
specifically. It's addressed to him. Some psalms that we read are addressed to God's people, instructing them to praise the Lord. But here, this psalm is a direct praise of God. It's just like some of the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. Sometimes those songs are directed specifically at God. We're talking to him. And other times we sing songs about God, worshiping him, and singing those over and with one another. The psalms are the same way. And what Psalm 8 does, what it does is we praise God as we're directing our gaze and our attention towards him. What it does is it places humanity before God. And it leaves us in awe of our Creator. Right away we see this in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And this is a declaration of praise to God. And from it we learn some critical things. In most of our English Bibles it says, O Lord, our Lord. But every time we see Lord all in all caps, L-O-R-D in all caps, In the original language, that's the proper name of God, Yahweh. It's how God answered Moses' question in Exodus chapter 3 when God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and demand that his people be let go. And Moses is supposed to show up and just say this, and so Moses is nervous about that, and he says, well, God, like, uh, who should I say sent me? Like, if I just say, well, it's just me, Moses, like, nobody's going to listen to me. Who should I say has sent me? What's the name of the one who sends me? And God's response, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me. See, Yahweh stands for the divine name because it's connected to the Hebrew word to be or I am. And so really we could translate Psalm 8.1, O Yahweh, our Lord. And from that we learn two very important things. The first is that this God who is being praised is personal. This God has a name. And it's not, he's not just some kind of impersonal force or energy of the universe. We also learn that he is Lord. The one true God is by nature king and Lord and ruler over everything, including humanity. And in his name, we see that it's majestic in all the earth. This God is not some tribal God. He's not some local deity. He is majestic and supreme and powerful over the entire earth. And his name and his lordship, they also set him apart from all other false gods. They set him apart from creation. See, Yahweh's great name and his unending majesty declared in this verse and throughout the scriptures is significant because it denounces false belief in who God is. We gain an understanding of this God that we worship just from this one verse. There's two false beliefs about God, something that oftentimes is called pantheism or panentheism. Now, you may not know those words, but it's very popular in our culture. It's the belief that all things are God or that all things are in God. That we're just kind of all this Godness is all within us and around us, but there is no true God that we worship. Well, right here we see Psalm 8 making the case that no, God isn't in creation or creation within him. He's above creation. That's really important when it comes to the value of humanity. What it means to be human. How we treat one another. As we'll see in these next few verses. But notice what the rest of verse 1 says. His name is majestic and all the earth, his glory is above the heavens. 
There is no inch or aspect of the world, of the galaxy, of the universe that God's fame and power and glory do not expand into and over. This God that we worship is his greater is glory, his glory is greater than the gloriousness of the sun. It's greater than the gloriousness of the moon or the stars. He outshines them all. This God is transcendent and magnificent in who he is and all that he does. And so, brothers and sisters, this God, our God, is indeed worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of all worship, all honor, and all glory. David could stop there, and that would be sufficient for us to think on for days and months and years about how great our God is. But David isn't done yet. He continues. Read verse 2 with me. It says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, this may seem a little bit confusing at first, but David is doing two things here. He's giving a preview of what is to come in the psalm and in the future, God's creation. And he's alluding to Genesis chapter 1. And so it might be helpful for us to understand for not only this verse, but really the rest of the psalm and why it matters for us here and now. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see God speaking creation into existence. He speaks creation into existence. He forms the earth. He forms the universe. He forms the stars and, and the heavenly beings and all of the earth and mountains and water and plants and animals and all of those things. And then we see at the very end of his creation as he speaks everything into existence, everything into existence out of nothing. Nothing existed prior to God speaking it into existence. And we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this is a foundational truth for life. All of humanity is made in the image of God, men and women. And I would argue that we don't have a full picture of the image of God if we're just men or just women. That together as we exist in community as men and women, that we better image God together than we would if we were individually apart and separated. God's people, understanding this about themselves, that we are all created in God's image, following the commands of God, then don't make images of God. We don't build idols and statues to bow down to like other religions do. We are the image of God. So does it mean that we are God? It means that we're like him and we reflect him and we rule with him. As we already saw in verse 1, God is the king. God is the ruler over all of creation. No one else. He declares what is good and what isn't good. But he gives his image bearers a responsibility to rule with him under his good authority, under his good lordship. And this is really important, and David's going to bring it back up in a minute. But what does this have to do with Psalm 8-2? When we go back to Genesis and think about God's creation and creating us in his image, what does it have to do? Let me read the verse again. He says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. We need to understand that we have an enemy. And we have a foe, Satan and his legions, and he has sought to and continues to seek to destroy the image of God in human beings. 
And Satan knows he can't destroy God. He can't come against him. He can't take him down. But he can come after his people and seek to destroy the image of God within them. See, the first and most significant assault was in the garden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to throw off God's authority, to throw him off and instead try to be God. And this act of disobedience, it fractured all of humanity and creation. It, it brought about tainting us with sin and rebellion against God whose image we still bear. And ever since then, Ever since that moment of seeking to attack the image of God in Adam and seeking to attack the image of God in Eve, the enemy has continued through a myriad of ways to continue to destroy the image of God in humanity. But in Psalm 8-2, we get a glimpse of hope. It's out of the mouth of babies and infants that strength is established against this foe and the enemy is stilled. How is that possible? I mean, what could a baby or an infant possibly do to be stronger than this devilish enemy that we have? Well, it's as simple as this. Whenever a baby babbles or cries, when a child laughs or sings, it declares the glory of God. Because every time a child comes into this world, the image of God is multiplied which is exactly what he told our first parents to do in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. Advance the image of God through the procreation of humanity and its development. Populate the world with more and more and more little image bearers. And every time you look at one of them in the face, see the gloriousness of the God who made them. But this reality puzzles David a little bit. Maybe it puzzles you too. See, David's thinking about the greatness of God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And he thinks about these children that are born and how they image the glory of God to fight against the tactics and schemes of the enemy. And it's kind of at this place of, God, your glory is great. And he, he, it's like David's going outside and looks up and just sees the stars and is kind of taken aback a bit. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, when I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Maybe David's writing and he looks up at that night sky. He sees the majesty of God's creation and the fact that it's God that made all of it. The God that spoke it into existence and it just humbles him. God, you said you made us in your image, but when I look at the vastness of your creation and the cosmos, what is humanity that you're mindful of us? And he wants to know as he sees the vastness of the universe, as he considers his smallness, why would the God who made all of this and sustains all of this ever give a rip about me? David's thinking this, looking up at the night sky, and he doesn't have technology or telescopes like we do today. I mean, if you've never looked at some of the images from the Hubble Space Telescope, I'd encourage you to go home and Google that today. Man, it is fascinating, mind-blowing. Some of it doesn't look real. Like, this is real. This isn't Hollywood or like a Michael Bay movie or something like that. Like, this is for real. That's amazing. But then when we think about the size of the earth, this 
earth that we exist on, that we're standing on right now, as compared to some of the stars in our galaxy, it gets insane. <laughs> now, I haven't been around the world, the whole entire earth, but the earth seems pretty big to me. I mean, the equatorial circumference of the earth is about 25,000 miles. Canis Majoris is one of the biggest known stars in the universe. And if you spherically packed the earth with inside of this star, this hypergiant star, it would take, listen to this, two quadrillion, 759 trillion, 460 billion earths to fill about 75% of the volume of that star. That's like, is there smoke coming out of my ears? Because like, that's insane. If that doesn't make you already just kind of mind-boggling, it would take 9.3 billion of our sun inside that star to fill up that star. And that's just one of the biggest stars in the sky. I mean, I have no concept for that. And here I am standing on a stage in a middle school cafetorium in Fairfax talking to you this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God, friends. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. What am I, God, that you would care or pay any attention to me? It's a good question. It's a hard question to ask. But even in this question, there's peace. See, David isn't asking, God, will you remember me? Will you be mindful of us? Will you care for us? He says, why would you remember us? Why Would you care for us? See, even in this text, David is telling us something about God. As one scholar writes, God's remembering always implies his movement toward the object of his memory. What that means is you're not an afterthought for God. You're the very pinnacle of his creation. In these next few verses, even just the next word, we see more of why this is the case. Look at verses 5 through 8. David writes, yet you have made him, meaning humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, yet the universe is vast. We are small, yet. Humanity has been made a little lower than the heavenly beings. Some translations of this say a little lower than God. And we've been given dominion over his creation. To rule along with him over his creation. Humanity is the crown of creation. Even when we think about gigantic stars that we can't wrap our minds around, God is saying through this that you are the crown of his creation because you're made in his image. Because you are different than any of the rest of creation. Because you and I are called to be stewards of and cultivators of his creation. Given authority and charge over it under the lordship and authority of God. He has crowned you with glory. He has crowned you with honor. The stars and the universe may be magnificent and incomprehensible, but you as a human being made in the image of God are more glorious than anything you can see around you in all of creation. Maybe some of you just need to hear that this morning. Maybe you struggle with having a low view of yourself. 
and the way that you look or the way that you feel or where you're from or just those thoughts that kind of eat at you at night when you're trying to fall asleep, that you just think low of yourself, that you don't think you're anything, that you don't think that anybody really gives a rip about you. My friend, please see the truth of Psalm 8 this morning. God cares for you. God looks at you and says, valuable, precious, glorious, honor. And he takes you and compares you to the vastness of the universe and those crazy pictures you can see from the telescope and says, more glorious than that. So I don't care what anyone else has said to you or even the internal dialogue of your own mind that seeks to tear you down as a human being. You are valuable. You're a treasure. No matter where you are, on your spiritual journey or your spectrum of belief, here's the key thing I want us to see in all of this for all of us. Your humanity is defined by his divinity. You are not human apart from God being God. and You being made in his image. That's what gives you definition. It's what sets you apart from the rest of creation. It's what makes you not an animal like every other creature on this earth. And so you can't understand what it means to be human or the role that we have as humanity apart from understanding God. He defines you. He gives you value. He is infinite and we are finite. He is self-sufficient and we are dependent. He has no beginning and no end and our beginning begins with him. It's a strange paradox. We are finite yet glorious at the same time. Why? Because God has imprinted his image on us, marked us with glory, unlike any other aspect of his creation. Because you are a human being, you have a privileged place in the created order. All of us. All of humanity. Every human being. There is no qualification. There is no disqualification. There's no prerequisite except to be conceived. When an egg is fertilized, When an egg is fertilized by a sperm inside of a woman, there the image of God is, and there the image of God remains throughout all of life of that person. Every man, every woman, every child of every ethnicity and every social class. See, what we learn from this text and the rest of Scripture is that there is inherent dignity, an inherited dominion for every person from the womb to the tomb. Inherent dignity and inherited dominion. But there's a problem. And the problem is we often don't act like this is true. We don't act like we really believe that all people have inherent dignity or inherited dominion. We often don't treat people like this is true. It doesn't take long to look throughout history and see the brokenness of our world and the efforts of the enemy to continue to malign and destroy the image of God. We oppress and we abuse. We assert and we demean. We kill and destroy. We tear down and tear apart. And at the root of that is a desire to seek our comfort and advance our will like we are Lord instead of submitting to the will and the ways of the one true Lord to Yahweh whose name is majestic in all the earth. God has set us apart. He's given us value and dominion, crowned us with glory and honor, yet we get this wrong when we try to assert our will as creatures over the will of the Creator. 
by oppressing and destroying other creatures made in the image of God. And it manifests itself in all kinds of ways. Through things like abortion, where we see small little image bearers of God destroyed, killed. Things like abuse, where we seek, whether it's physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, or we take an image bearer of God and we seek to tear them down and destroy them with our words, our actions. Racism, where because someone looks different, we think that they have less value and maybe aren't bearing God's image as much as we are. We destroy and seek to tear down someone because of how they look. Things like slavery or prejudice, pornography, where we objectify someone and look at someone thinking it doesn't really matter they bear God's image, they're just for my consumption. Even if you just have a low view of yourself, all of those things, they disparage the truth of Psalm 8. That all people have inherent dignity. That all people have inherited dominion. dominion. All of those things, they obliterate this truth. Which at its core is really disparaging of and rejection of God himself. See, our false view of humanity, which leads to how we treat one another, is due to a false understanding of God. That we don't believe Psalm 8 verse 1. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. We have misunderstood God. And so we treat each other accordingly. And even as followers of Jesus, we can miss the significance of Psalm 8. It isn't just saying, well, yeah, that's how the world acts. Uh, Christians, people who claim the name of Christ throughout history have and still get this wrong. See, we need to understand something. God is not honored. God is not praised. God is not worshipped. And we sing songs of his greatness and glory on Sunday, but then treat one another like trash on Tuesday. As one pastor writes, you cannot worship and glorify the majesty of God while treating his supreme creation with contempt. I think too often we act a whole lot like the enemy in how we engage with other image bearers. So what are we supposed to do about that? Oh, brothers and sisters, there's good news. The ultimate answer is found in Jesus Christ. And the implications for us are significant here and now. See, Jesus is the perfect image bearer of God who exercises perfect dominion with humility and love. In his perfection, Jesus came to rescue you so that you could have peace with God and with one another. The author of Hebrews references Psalm 8. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But we see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus took on our humanity, our broken humanity, our marred image of God, and he lived an ideal human life. He was an ideal human being so that for this purpose, not for just his own praise and glory, so that we might be reconciled. He went to the cross. He took on your sin and your shame and your selfishness that you might be redeemed. Through Jesus, the marred and torn and tattered image of God in each of us can be restored and made new. You see, Jesus came to destroy the destroyer of the image bearers of God. And while not all things are subject to Jesus, yet one day 
One day, as we learn in Philippians chapter 2, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day he will come again and make everything new. So brothers and sisters, the purposes of God for humanity in this world are fulfilled in Christ which means that we can find our true humanity in him. We can find our true identity in him. And that's good news for everybody. It's good news for victims of these kinds of things that the enemy has come at you with. It's good news for victimizers and oppressors. It's good news for those who just struggle with apathy. Don't think much about those who are being torn down. It's a promise of hope and healing that Jesus has and will make all things new. We see the truth of Psalm 8 has huge implications for us now. As one scholar writes, if humans are the product of evolutionary chance, then there's no basis for ethics or treating each other with respect. We are in essence no different from the animal world. But Scripture represents human beings as the crowning glory of God's creation with a special place in the created world. What this means for us is that what God intended humanity to be, God still intends humanity to be. And so that means this is not just something for a later time. It has implications for us now. God's people are able to be, called to be, an example of restored humanity to humanity, which we know and believe and understand can only come about through the restorer. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that it's the church of Jesus that makes the manifold wisdom of God known, not just to this world, but to the spiritual rulers and authorities of the heavenly places. Listen, the enemy accuses, the enemy mars the image of God in our world, but as redeemed image bearers, we can advocate and defend the dignity of humanity, of all people, and we can do so through our humble dominion in his creation, following the ways and will of our God and King. See, the gospel speaks to sin and social justice issues because all social issues are a result of sin. And we may all believe that, but sometimes we don't act in a holistic way about that. We can't pick and choose can't say, well, I'm going to focus on this issue that's a result of sin and brokenness about the image of God over here and ignore this one over here. God cares about all of those things. If humanity is defined by God, then we must treat all people as God treats them, from the womb to the tomb, just as he would. So that means that we stand up for the rights and the dignity of the unborn. And we stand up for the rights and the dignity of the marginalized. We stand up for the rights and the dignity of the weak. We stand up for the rights and dignity of all ethnicities. We stand up for the rights and dignity of women and men. We stand up for the rights and the dignity of the differently abled. It also means, though, that you and I, as redeemed followers of Jesus, exercise our dominion by fighting against systemic practices and laws that advocate for the rights of one image bearer or a group of image bearers over another. Whether that's politically popular or not. You and I must advocate for valuing all lives for all of life. All lives for all of life. And especially stand up for those who have no voice. 
those that have been marginalized or oppressed because of the way they look or where they're from. We can see oppression of people, whether in the womb or the workplace or communities, must be stated for what it is. It's sin. And then given the healing balm that it requires, the gospel. And so what this also means is that we can call people to repentance, to turn away from wickedness and evil. We can call people to repentance and then extend the grace of Jesus to those who are broken over their brokenness whether that means they've had an abortion or perpetrated abuse or demeaned or demoralized other people. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe when you hear some of those things that we as God's image bearers redeemed by Jesus should stand up for, you're thinking, I'm one of those people who's done those things. What does that mean for me? Well, I hope you hear the good news of Christ this morning. If you've had an abortion, Jesus came to redeem and restore you to bring healing to your life. If you've been racist or prejudiced in some way, actively or passively, overtly or subtly, Jesus came to redeem you and rescue you, bring healing to your life. If you've been an abuser, if you've just been apathetic, Jesus came to redeem you and restore you and heal you. And so turn to him today in faith and repentance and then turn into this community so that we can walk with you in your journey with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we groan with what's not normal in our world right now. We groan along with creation, Romans 8 says, and then we speak into it. And we bring the hope of healing and restoration that comes through Jesus and his people. Listen, did God save you? Did he save you from your sin? Did he rescue you out of darkness and death? Then he can do anything. He can transform the world around us and he can use you to do it. None of these things are a matter of a political platform. This is about faithfulness and holiness and God's glory. These are image-bearing issues. And as God's people who understand God's design and God's character, we should be the most pro-image-bearing people in the world. And so the next time someone asks you or assumes they know why you care about life from the womb to the tomb, read Psalm 8 to them. Read Psalm 8 to them and show them the vision of God and what it means to be human. Psalm 8 ends where it began. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All of life, what it means to be human, begins and ends with God. And as God's people, we can celebrate that in all people. And there will come a day when there will be a full restoration of our world, a full restoration of our humanity, where the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. But until that day, you and I can live out our restored humanity by how we treat other human beings. And we can do so to the praise and honor and glory and the majesty of the God whose image we all bear. And to that we can say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. As we come to the communion table this morning, we come having received and still in need of redemption and restoration. If you are in Christ, you've been made new, but we still find ourselves in a broken down world. And so as you come forward this morning to eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for your brokenness, 
and to drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for your sin, we come together and we do so to proclaim his death until he comes again. And so this meal that we get to partake in every week is a meal of celebration and longing. As you eat and drink, be refreshed, be encouraged that God through Christ has and is restoring his image in you at this moment. But then as you eat and drink, may it compel you to see him do the same exact thing in the lives of those around you until he comes again. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, first off, and again, so thankful that you're here this morning. We're grateful that you're here, that you can learn more about who Christ is and what it means to be a part of his people. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, instead of coming forward to take the elements, we would just ask you to stay in your seat. And instead of taking the bread and the drink this morning, we want you to take Christ, that you'd feast on Jesus, that you'd cry out for your need for redemption and restoration and salvation today. It's as simple as asking God to save you from your sin because of what Christ has done for you. So if you're ready to do that, tell God that this morning and let somebody around you know that you're ready to start following Jesus. And maybe you're just at a place right now where you still have a lot of questions about who Jesus is or what it means to know him, and that's fine too. We want you to know him, and so we want to journey with you in that. So hang around with us, ask questions. We'd love to help you wherever you're at on that journey. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or at the back, tear off a piece of bread, take a small cup to drink, and what Christ our Savior, the perfect image of God, has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father of mercy, we just pray this morning that you'd have mercy on us. Would you help us to define our humanity not by what the world says, but by what you say? That when it comes to what it means to be human, that we would believe and live like it begins and ends with you. So God, we need your help to do that with our own lives, what we think about ourselves, that we place ourselves in the humble position, not as a creator, not as Lord, but as your creation. God, that would give you glory, not steal glory from you. But God, I pray that it also help us as we look at, around, look at those around us that we would see people in the right way with your eyes. And that we would treat people accordingly. God, would you bring healing and hope in this church? And would you bring healing and hope in this church so that you can bring healing and hope through this church? That others might experience your peace and your presence and your loving kindness. Holy God, whose name is majestic in all the earth, would you magnify your name for your glory and for our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.